Our guest today is someone fighting the good fight. You may not know her now, but you will. She's a mother, a leader, and she's someone that tirelessly works on changing the world one kid at a time. She is fixated on the never-ending goal of making sure this world is safer for our kids. She serves as the chief marketing officer and chief people officer at Bark Technologies, author of Parenting in a Tech World, a bestseller and project lead on the documentary Childhood 2.0. It is with immense gratitude that I welcome Tatanya Jordan to the 8020 podcast. That was so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for spending your time. I appreciate it. Definitely appreciate it. Um, so we like to just start off a little, uh, a little silly, a little goofy. Um, your favorite, your favorite delectable sweet. Go. Delectable meaning like not nerds and not. Oh, uh, we cups. no. I mean, we cannot. We are not sponsored by Reese's, so we're going to have to go a little <laughs> bit, a little bit more niche there. Oh no, no. If we're doing peanut butter cups. It's just in peanut butter cups. Like, let's get one thing straight there. Um, delectable. Oh, the white chocolate cake from a piece of cake. That's delectable. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, good choice. White chocolate is a. Uh... That's often superior to the, to the milk chocolate, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, everybody see exactly. Some people have the different reactions. But, you know, the uh, the white chocolate cookies and cream Hershey bar, that was that was a favorite growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so keep it with the silly theme. And I, I, I do make music myself, but I'm curious. And you may not have a single one. But what is your favorite trap song at this moment in time? <laughs> okay. Um... Uh, um, is Wakisha a trap song? I've never heard of it, but it sounds like it probably is. (laughs) 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 I'll look it up after this, but I feel like that's probably a trap song. (laughs) Wakisha, we got... It's probably not a a technical name, but that's... Watch me put my heart in this cup. Never mind, this is not the time for me to be... No, take it. Come on, hit it. Come on, you got it. It's all anyway, you. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna text it to James, and then you can confirm if it is indeed a trap song or just something that they play on Hot 107.9 and V103 here in Atlanta. Those are the trap stations. So yes, <laughs> we're, 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 if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, must be Waukesha. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um. <laughs> okay, so Samuel, you want to go ahead and kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, just for the people who, who are a little unfamiliar, so we can go ahead and get people up to speed, would you mind uh, explaining or sharing with everyone what Bark is and what it is that you do and how you've helped build that company up? So thank you for asking. Thank you for having me. Bark is technology that keeps children safer online and because of that in real life. You know, kids today are spending, I mean, goodness gracious, upwards of eight hours a day online, like not playing outside, you know, they're like in a screen. Um, And so their worlds are in a screen and the whole world is also in a screen. Um, And so what Bark does is uses artificial intelligence, some very, very intuitive machine learning algorithms to scan their connected devices and accounts, over 30 social media accounts, in fact, as well as text messaging and email. It scans those for digital dangers 
um, or potential problems, you know, whether it's cyberbullying and profanity to some really intense things like suicidal ideation and online predation. Um, when our algorithm detects those dangers, it then sends the parent or caregiver an alert via text or email, not only with the problem like, hey, here's what happened on XYZ platform, but we also give best recommended next steps for how to address because I'm the first parent in the history of parenting on this planet, at least, uh, that has had to deal with digital parenting like this. You know, we didn't grow up uh, having Instagram in middle school. Um, you know, I had AOL chat rooms, but, you know, that was about it. And there were dangers there, but not not like there is today. Um, so that's, that's what Bark is. Um, any questions there before I move on to how... How I do what I do and what do I do there? No, you can just flow into that and we'll come back and, and pull at the threads. Okay. Cool, cool. Okay. Um, in terms of, <laughs> so this is great. Um, I was actually a co-founder at a startup um, that was an anonymous platform, but it wasn't like Gik Yak in that we had misogyny and racism and all kinds of terrible things there. Um, we actually had a really finely moderated community um, and we kicked, we kicked any, anybody out if they just, you know, did one thing that was not cool. Um, so we ha I had this anonymous platform that I built. I was working out of the Atlanta tech village and Brian Basin, the CEO of Bark reached out to me and we were talking about helping to train his algorithms with our community. Um, and that was a cool conversation. It didn't materialize. And then a few months later, um, he was not able to present at Techstars, um, Atlanta, you know, Bark was selected as one of the Techstars companies, uh, for the Atlanta cohort and they have Techstars demo day and, um, every, every founder or, or partner, you know, gets up and presents and he wasn't able to do it. And he called me up and asked me if I would do it. And I was like, sure. Um, <laughs> I'm making a very long story, very, very short. Um, but essentially, I had to learn all about Bark, the inner workings of Bark, over the course of like 14 days and be so confident about it that I could speak to a room full of 900 people at the masquerade in Atlanta. Uh, and these are people that were going to potentially write us you know, half a million to a million dollar checks uh, to keep our company going. I say our company, I wasn't even a part of it yet, really. I mean, I kind of was, but um, so no pressure, just a lot of pressure. It was terrifying. Um, but I, I printed out like, like literally printed out every slide, put it on my wall. And I just like, you know, those memes where the people are like looking at the strings <laughs> crossing. That was like me for two weeks, just like soaking it in. Um, and I, I crushed it. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay on a stage and I did, did well. And that was great. And after digging deep into the business, um, from that standpoint, I was like, I can't not be a part of this. So, um, I asked him if I could become a greater part of it. And he asked me if I would become a greater part of it. And that was over five years ago. Um, and I haven't looked back and I know I glossed over a, a bunch of things, but, um, the reason when I started talking about this, I kind of had like a twinkle in my eye and a giggle is because that previous startup, 
Um, I won't even name it because it doesn't deserve to be named. Um, <laughs> uh, it had no revenue model, and there was a, there was some, there was a, a bit of a toxic culture within it. And at the time, because it was my idea, I had based my whole identity around it. Like we had gotten press, everybody loved it. They're like, "Oh, you you know you started this app," and like, "Wow, it's so great!" And like that was my whole identity. And when I realized like it wasn't going to work, like things were not going to work out and, and I realized it had to die. Basically I kind of died with it. And then I was like, what is my point? Why am I here? What am I going to do? If I have to go work for somebody now, like, well, you know, this is not good. I was not a good place. And then Brian reaches out and it was like, Oh, like there was this bridge. There was this path. I was like, Oh, wait maybe I can still work in startup land and it not be toxic and there will be a paycheck. Like that's amazing. And like a revenue model and more important than all of that, a mission and a purpose, like building tech with people that have proven experience and have done it before. Um, Bark is Brian's fourth startup. He's had three successful exits before that. Um, and with this mission of, of, protecting kids and empowering families like okay all right life let's do this again like i was it was great and it still is mm. <clears throat> what's your um what does your title chief people officer mean i understand what cmo means but yeah. what the what the heck does cpo mean so CPO actually stands for Chief Parenting Officer. Oh, mm -hmm. I, mean, I thought it was People Officer. <laughs> I know. Well, it's fun when, when you have CPO in your title because it, it's a product, it's people, uh -huh. it's parenting in this case. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's our demographic. And um, I'm the chief, <laughs> the chief parent officer. <laughs> You're the chief of the tribe of parents. <laughs> Okay, so with that, because I'm thinking about what chief people officer usually is, and, and to my mm -hmm. understanding, that's usually something that's much more internal. You have right. you kind of deal with, you know, it's almost like head of HR in a way. Um, right. So in your chief parenting role, does that basically mean that you are the primary liaison directly with the parents? Because I imagine at the same time, you're probably a bit busy to be dealing with every parent that has a qualm or question. So how does that work out in your situation? It's, it's a very um, evolving title. It's a great question. Um, what it means is I represent the voice of the parents internally to our team. Not everybody who works at Bark is a parent. Um, I represent the voice of our company and the parents to media. So whenever somebody, you know, reaches out and wants me to talk about, hey, Instagram's launching, uh, you know, an app for kids. What do you think? Um, that's where I come in. Uh, also, because we already had a CMO when I joined Spark, um, that just felt like the best title for me at the time. Okay, excellent. So you got to keep the the, the CPO title, mm -hmm. and you were able to. <laughs> hey, you came in bossed up, didn't you? <laughs> you? You don't get what you don't ask for. <laughs> mm, mm. There it is. That's a fact. 
trade agreeableness. Um, so, I mean, with Bark, there's a lot of moving parts. You do a lot of media. You talk yeah. to the public a whole lot. But can we go back to Childhood 2.0? Can we go back yeah. to um, how that came about? What that was about? For I think that there's a lot of people that, that may be listening to this, may see these snippets on Instagram, may see this on YouTube, um, that would derive big benefit from having consumed that content by the nature of what it is. But can you walk us through how you how y'all got there? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That documentary is so freaking powerful. And, um, you know, they're really, you know, there's so many great documentaries out there that kind of change the way humans behave and make choices, you know, forks over knives, supersize me, uh, ones featuring, you know, the, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, like there's, you know, Aaron Brockovich, like there's, there's films that, that change people and, and humanity for the better. And I feel that childhood Curado is one of those. And it looks at basically how childhood was up until about the year 2000 and then how it has changed so much from the year 2000 until now. It is literally the, the second type of childhood that, that kids are dealing with and families are dealing with. And, um, it's uh, it's about 90 minutes in length. It's free. Anybody can watch it uh, on YouTube and a variety of places. Really, the only place that doesn't live is Netflix yet. Mm. Uh, hoping hoping they'll pick it up. Um, but not only do you hear from people like me and, and our CEO, Brian Basin, um, and child health and wellness experts, doctors, um, psychologists, psychiatrists, parents, you hear from kids. and that is what really guts people when, when they hear from, you know, seven and 10 year olds talking about not wanting to be on the planet anymore because they're being bullied. When you hear from 12 and and 14 year old uh, girls talking about the pressure to send nudes or how their, their peers have all consumed pornography by the time they're in eighth grade. Um, you know, we, uh, our, our investigation where we went undercover as an 11 year old on Instagram and ended up meeting up in real life undercover with a predator, uh, that's featured in there. That's chilling. You know, it really, it, it doesn't hold back. It doesn't hold back any punches. It really shows you what it's like to be a kid today online, all the various issues that they're encountering. Um, and you hear again, both from adults and experts and kids who I'd say are experts as well. And so as y'all were featured in that documentary, after y'all kind of went through that whole process, because I, I believe that sometimes when you're involved in creating something, uh, whether it be your part in being featured in this documentary and obviously just building the technology, was there a period where y'all were able to step back and then kind of see what you all were doing from a different light? And if so, how did that inform the, the way that y'all went forward in, in what y'all wanted to add to bark any changes you thought might be necessary? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, what was really interesting, um, and it went viral, that the, the predator part of the film, it's about nine and a half minutes, 
um, where we went undercover as an 11 year old and, and within moments heard from adult men that wanted to contact her. Um, not, and not just for friendly reasons. Um, you know, that, that snippet of the documentary went so viral. It was viewed over 17 million times just on YouTube alone. Uh, good morning. America covered it. Dr. Oz covered it. Um, it, it just, it, it, it blew up, it blew up. And it's because people need to see something and experience something in first person sometimes before they truly understand it. You know, we could tell people all day long about our stats. You know, we've, we've escalated over a thousand predators to law enforcement and people are like, wow, but it doesn't hit them emotionally. They don't realize just how easily it could happen to their own families within their houses um, until you show them, show them the screens, show them on Instagram and on other platforms, like where this is happening and how you can just video call somebody and, and how you can land in their DMs. Like people got to see it. They really got to see it to get, to get shook and be like, Oh wow. Like, Oh gosh. You know, and I put this thing in my kid's hand and they're just in their room for hours at a time. I don't know who they're talking to. And they might not tell me because they might be scared or ashamed or coerced or bullied. Like, you know, so it, uh, in, in order to answer your question, like it helped us see how when you have very powerful information, uh, if it's not resonating, you've got to think of a different way to tell that story. Um, cause everybody learns a little differently. It helped our algorithms um, as well, because when you have firsthand experience uh, as the child interacting with multiple predators, your algorithm can get even smarter to pick up the nuances of grooming and predation. Um, it helped uh, place more accountability on the largest platforms in the world, as well as legislators uh, and caregivers to really do something about it. Because I don't think people just realized how prevalent it was. A, a lot of the issues that we alert parents for, they don't think it can happen to them until it does. And then you're in, um, instead of prevention mode, you're in, you know, okay, let's fix it mode, which is not a good mode to be in. It makes a lot of sense. And even personally, uh, and this isn't something we talk about too, too much on, on this podcast, but I think it was maybe about 2015 or 2016, because I was just researching a lot of things. Um, mm. And I didn't realize how prevalent pedophilia was. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll say the word, I know the word makes some people uncomfortable even, which is kind of crazy, because how do you touch a topic without just saying what it is? And I'm curious with y'all's platform, and I don't know if this is data y'all can share or not, but what, if you had to rank maybe the top four things that you find in terms of prevalence of behaviors that need warning to parents, how, how does it rank? You know, because there's suicide, there's pedophilia, there's bullying, just what do y'all find to be kind of the most frequent or the most intense uh, hierarchy of those things? That's a great question. Um, I'm actually going to look at our reporting uh, 
all our abuse type. That's what we call them. And just see what is what's most prevalent. Um, so I'm just looking at a sample of October. So October of 2021, over the month, um, we had 2.4 million alerts sent out around bullying, 2.2 million alerts sent out around drug and alcohol-related content, uh, 3.4 million alerts around profanity. I Google at that because like when my son was nine, I was like, <gasps> he said, what? And now I'm like, you know, basically saying certain words uh, with him and to him <laughs> <laughs> and laughing when he says them back. Uh, so not how I grew up, but that's how I'm doing it. Uh, 1.7 million alerts around sexual content, 2.9 million alerts around violence, um, you know, notified authorities in a, a, a lot of cases. I don't know if I can give that number out, but um, you know, the, when there was uh, an incidence of severe harm, uh, you know, imminent danger to a human life. Um, there's, you know, there's anxiety, there's body image and eating related uh, alerts. There is depression. There's hate speech. There's uh, predatory behavior, um, self-harm and suicidal content. That was uh, close to half a million alerts around self-harm or suicidal content. Half a million uh, just over the course of one month. And for context, we uh, help protect close to 6 million children across the nation. So it's a lot. It's a lot to process. Um, yeah. Did I answer so, the question? <clears throat> You said yeah. you uh, you said that you protect about a little over six million. Close to you know, yeah, three point right two million on drugs and alcohol related content alerts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And what was the second? What was the second highest? You said three point two on drugs and two point nine. Bullying. On- two point four was bullying, I believe. Bullying. Yeah. Hmm. So what? What classifies? What classifies? And you don't have to go into the algorithm on the on mm-hmm. the back end, but just um, layman's terms for everyone listening. What classifies as behavior that necessitates a alert sent? Yeah. Um, well, you know, our algorithm isn't one hundred percent accurate one hundred percent of the time. That said, it's pretty freaking good. And just some examples of bullying. You know, a lot of times kids will say to each other, "You know, you should just go kill yourself," and they don't actually mean like go die by suicide, but that's like, it's like funny for them to toss that around. Um, and it's, it's very heavy. And so that, uh, that'd be classified as bullying. Um, you know, nobody likes you. Everybody hates you. Why are you even here? I mean, those are some pretty overt and obvious instances, um, of it, you know, calling somebody, certain profane terms um can constitute bullying i mean it, there's there's so much there's so 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 much and i'm speaking anecdotally because i'm a parent that uses bark for my 12 going on 13 year old son so i can speak to those alert 
based on what I've seen, um, I don't look at, you know, I like, I don't look at people's information. We're very, very, very private, very secure at Bark. Um, I can't just go in and look at, look at the alerts that, that we have sent out. I can see what they were classified as. Um, you know, the data is anonymized and classified as to what type. Um, but in order to really dig into the trends, we'd have to uh, speak to our data science team to surface any trends they're seeing. And even then they'd have to pull some anonymized data in order to be able to report on that. You'd essentially have to hash everything. So you take away the, the identifiers yes, that we yes, can yeah. just turn them into unique identifiers. SHA-256 is instead of plain text. Because if it's plain text, it can be abused pretty easily. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, we're very, very intentional about um, being a platform that, that protects and doesn't put at, uh, put at risk. Makes sense. And I'm sure that you know, some parents may not, you know, care too much about that, but I think it's this, it's this interesting progression of society where more and more that people become integrated and in, in using these different technologies, you know, 10 years ago, sure, we had Instagram, but not everybody had an Amazon Alexa or a Google Home that was also connected and listening at all times. Uh, but as we move further down that route, it becomes almost more of a trap, more of a danger. But then there's also this growing concern about privacy. And it's it's weird because even earlier when you were speaking about the, the documentary and how 20, 30 years ago, kids, they got dirty. They played in the mud, you know, they scraped their knees. They, uh, they were out in nature and, and if anything, just, just doing things instead of consuming things, watching things, uh, yeah. commenting on things. And it's, it's, I'm interested your viewpoint personally, you know, it doesn't have to be as, as a representative of Bark, but Bark seems to be like the middle ground of parents who want their kids to be in this virtual world but want to keep them protected. Whereas, you know, I'm kind of of the opinion where it's like, you know, but you don't want your kid to feel excluded or they're the weird one out or, you know, they're, they're just, you know, in, in the stone age, but where do you sit in kind of that balance of how much exposure you allow at all to these platforms for a child? If you do that without a sensor um, that, that is barking, kind of notifying what's going on and, and just kind of that whole quagmire. Oh yeah. Well, that's a great word for it. It is absolutely a quagmire. Um, it's funny before I became a parent, I thought I knew everything about parenting and I thought I knew exactly how I was going to parent and it has not panned out that way at all. Great. Good stuff. Very humbling. Um, you know, in my ideal household, um, we wouldn't even need a television. We would either be <laughs> reading or making music or painting or exercising or cooking like we would be living life not just sitting there consuming at times just stupid content um and then you become a parent and you get really tired and you're like oh wow tv is such a great babysitter like <laughs> it's amazing you know um or maybe your kid doesn't want to do any of those things and you actually can't make them do things like i thought if I tell my child to do something, they will do it because I said so. Um, but that's not always the case. And 
you know, so that's a fun dynamic to uh, go through. Um, so yeah, my ideal is so much different than my actual. Um, also things change too. When my son was nine, 10, 11, I was like, there's no way he's going to have Instagram or Snapchat. TikTok didn't exist, but I would have put that in the camp as well. Like no way, no how knowing what I know. Absolutely not. Well, now he's, now he's there. He's 12. He's not even 13. He has Snapchat. He has TikTok. He has Instagram. And I had to make the decision to let him or not based on, you know, all of his friends are there. If all of his friends say, go jump off a cliff, you know, don't do that. But at the same time, it's not likened to jumping off a cliff. That's where they hang out. It's where they talk. If I want him to be able to experience um you know all the things that his peers are experiencing the positive aspects of them the, the conversations the jokes the memes the you know first love and the flirting and like all of that like it's happening out there they're not really texting anymore minimally but not like a ton um and so i could either keep them in a bubble and say nope there's too many dangers. You can't do it. Or I could say, okay, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you have this. Uh, but we're going to have a lot of conversations and they're not always going to be comfortable. Um, and I want you to always come to me if there's ever anything that you're confused about, that you're scared about, that you have problems with. And my first course of action isn't going to be to punish you. It's actually, or, or take away your access. It's actually going to be to say thank you for for bringing this to me and we'll navigate it together. Um, now there's a caveat there. Not as regards to his mental health. Um, let's say I had a child who had uh, body image issues. Um, despite the fact that his or her friends may all be on Instagram, I have to really weigh the pros and cons of you know, the algorithm showing them, you know, perfectly sculpted abs and diet tricks and metabolism boosting tricks and that sort of thing with their mental health. Uh, my child doesn't, doesn't struggle with those things. So that wasn't a risk to me. If I knew that my child was struggling with, you know, a porn addiction, which sounds kind of harsh, but like, yes, children can be addicted to porn. It's an addictive thing. Uh, you know, then I would have to take some precautions uh, about allowing access to certain platforms um if i hadn't had multiple exhaustive conversations about uh, online predators and personally identical personally identifiable information and tricky people and you know that sort of thing basically if i didn't do what i do every day and my son knew about it and we talked about it that also have to be something i'd rethink and then finally if he was struggling with depression anxiety suicidal ideation and was kind of getting further and further down that hole, uh, we'd have to rethink his access and the time that he spent uh, on those platforms. But we, we just, we talk about it all the time, all the time. Um, even from like a scientific standpoint of how, you know, when you're in front of a screen, it lights up the same part of your brain that gets lit up from cocaine and sex. And so you need to understand that you need to remain in control. That device, that game, that social media platform, uh, that blue light, that is not what holds the power in this world. You you are in control. And so if that 
balance of power ever gets upset, we're going to have to recalibrate. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I can only imagine what that, uh, what that is like being a parent and navigating that at this current time. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't envy that position. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't yeah, envy take, that at all. I'll take a hard pass as we, uh, as we slide <laughs> into the metaverse. I am okay. Web three <laughs> is going to be a problem for y'all for sure. Oh, crap. Web three. Um, so if I'm hearing you correctly, what you just said is it depends. So yes. for each individual's kid, each, each parent set, whether it's solo or it's, or it's dual parent, uh, a together nucleus or not, uh, it depends, right? It Bark, totally depends. That's the Tanya's, Yeah. Titania's thoughts and Bark's thoughts are probably that, hey, we're going to, here's what we can do to help you. But at the end of the day, we're not going to blanket broad stroke apply to everyone that you need to parent this way or you need to do this. Have more conversations, utilize the tools at your disposal. But ultimately, you got to, I mean, you are responsible for your kids. Absolutely. They're under your roof. Yeah. Every child is different. Every family dynamic is different. I will say that I have never, ever, ever heard a parent say, I waited too long. I wish I would have given my child access to XYZ. I wish I would have given them a smartphone earlier. Never heard a parent say that. Flip side, I've heard so many parents uh, say, and I've said this myself, I feel this way as well. I wish I would have waited. I wish I would have waited. I wish I didn't let my son have TikTok during the pandemic. That was a bad choice. I can't do anything about it now um, because of the, the misinformation and their algorithm that was servicing content to him that was not conducive to his uh, optimal mental health. Um, you know, I just... I wish I would have waited. So if you're struggling with what do I do, you probably won't go wrong with waiting. Uh, and if you cave earlier than you'd like, you'll, you'll probably regret it. Mm. So what you're saying that, it makes me think about the chicken and egg dynamic. <laughs> because when you were making the point about it's different for every child and some people, if they, if they basically have um, pre-existing uh, conditions or risk factors, whether it be body dysmorphia, depression, this anxiety, this, that, and a third, from everything I've looked at and seen, and I don't, I don't do my degrees in psychology, but I don't look at these numbers every day and conduct studies. But it seems from everything I've come across in my own anecdotal experience, it's often these platforms that cause those things. Uh, do y'all have any data that can kind of corroborate that? Um, we actually just partnered with the CDC. Um, I'm pulling up the study. Because of our unique data set. Um, so we, we released this joint national study that was published in the JAMA network. Um, reveals how suicidal ideation and self-harming kids and their online activities are tied. And so that was the first study of its kind that came out. Um, And children who experience high severity self-harm or attempted suicide have previously shown significantly higher risky online behaviors. Um, So there, there is a tie and um, yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And I think we're going to see more data come out, um, especially with Facebook, Instagram, Snap, 
TikTok, YouTube, et cetera, all now having uh, participated in, in congressional hearings, um, they're now being held to a standard of, look, you have, you have this data. Uh, your release of the data to independent third parties could help uh, keep kids safer uh, online and in real life. So you kind of need to do that. And I think we'll, we'll find out more as, as time evolves. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because obviously keeping somebody entirely off these platforms is one extreme. And often in life, it's about the balance of these things. But I was thinking earlier about the platform and just platforms. I don't even know if you all really have many competitors, you know. So, uh, But this idea of, of censorship, because... Mm-hmm. As I'm reflecting on it, once again, just thinking about the psychological development of children. Typically, you know, it's like you have the terrible twos. You got the, these different phases of life. You say, oh, oh boy, do you? Um, so there's these different phases of life. And if I'm even just remembering, once again, anecdotally, I was an absolute ass in, in middle school, early high school, right? Whether it be the aggression, you know, just it seems that there is a period in life, and typically it's that teen, preteen, adolescence age, where there are certain behaviors, dispositions that are far more common, but that's a part of the developmental phase. And it's almost like getting it out and how much of it is in response to the hormonal changes in the system where it's like, you can't help but be moody, you know, when your testosterone's pumping and dropping and pumping and dropping and just all these things are happening. And so my thought or a possibility as I'm thinking about just the platform is that couldn't there be a potential risk that by censoring, and once again, Bark is just providing the data for these parents. These parents opted in, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? But by this data coming in and then warning the parents and then the parents going, and oh, little Johnny, give me your device. I, I heard that you said this or you said your friend was lame. Bad, bad boy. That, and I'm, I'm being a little dramatic, obviously, right? But <laughs> that by jumping in and almost too quickly preventing your child, having that leash be a little too tight, not letting them get it out their system, that they suppress it. And then that they maybe even develop self-shame because they effectively were shamed because of this behavior that otherwise their parent may not, from the parent, I mean, may not have known about. And so then they kind of shut it down in the short term or while they're under the purview of their parents, but it still sits there and festers because they didn't get it out of their system. And so now when they move into adulthood, they have more freedom, they have more autonomy, they have a greater ability to actually execute a lot of things that may have just been thoughts that they couldn't pull off when they were younger. Doesn't that possibly become a a greater danger? Potentially? Once again, it's another quagmire, but how do you see that uh, personally as a parent? And then also, how does Bark, you know, you're the chief parent officer. How do y'all handle kind of that dichotomy? Yeah, great questions um, that I'm, I'm living in real time. You know, I was raised um, very conservative Christian, I'd say, touches of Southern Baptist household. You know, there, there was no alcohol in our house. I still have never heard my dad say a curse word, um, except for ass. Uh, he has said ass, but I think it was in reference to it being mentioned in the Bible. Um, you know, so coming from that world, you know, it, it, in fifth grade, Beverly Hills 90210 was all the rage. And I was like the only kid that wasn't allowed to watch it, right? Because they were talking about sex. 
and they were in high school, you know, like, God forbid that happened. It's like, okay, well, whatever. Um, you know, so I was very, very, I'd say sheltered, but it didn't mean that I didn't know what was going on. Like I knew it was happening. I, I, I heard the scuttlebutt on the playground. Like I was aware. Um, and in hindsight, it would have been really cool in a variety of ways if my parents, instead of sheltering me from it and not talking about it, could have talked to me about it. Could have said, you know what? Let's watch this together. It would have been a little cringy, but at least I could, we could have had some conversations, you know, and I could have asked them questions instead of turning to my friends or going to the library to look up stuff. Um, Thankfully, I didn't have Google back then. That could have that could have been a really crazy rabbit hole. <laughs> um, you know, there were so many things that we did not talk about that just did not exist. You know, whereas and then you know, I cut to freshman year of college, and I'm at UGA, living my best life, not going to class. Uh, so you know, I'm going about it a different route. Um, you know, I I am letting my son see things, experience things, have access to things. We talk and we joke about things because I want him to know A, that I know. Like, I know. I know that kids are going to experiment with pot in 6th, 7th, 8th grade. I know that you might be curious and try a cigarette. You know, I know that you're probably going to have sex before you're married. Like, Like, I just, I know these things. It's a lot easier to kind of embrace reality and prepare him for what all comes with that and make sure he's being safe uh, and respectful of his body and other people's bodies versus just saying, Nope, Nope, don't do that. That doesn't happen. Nope. Uh, That's just not, it's not reality. Um, And that just involves, you know, it can lead to to lying and, and pain and shame which isn't good for anybody. So in my personal opinion, I, uh, you know, I tell him how I feel about things, share with him the dangers, but also let him know, like, I know what's up (laughs) and I made some bad choices. And here's what I learned from those bad choices. You know, I didn't, my parents didn't, didn't really want to share with me the mistakes they made. I think they were afraid that I would say, oh, well, you did it at that age. Like, that means I could do it too. But in reality, I, I would have loved to learn from both their highs and their lows. Um, so that's my personal, personal point. Uh, from Bark's standpoint, we are very careful to not make um, judgment calls. Like, we are going to alert you to, to the issues that you should know about as a parent. We're not going to tell you, you know, if it's if it's okay for your child to use certain words, if it's okay for your child to engage in this type of behavior, if it's okay for your child to consume rated R content, TVMA content, or only stick to PG content. Like that is a personal parenting decision. Every every family dynamic is different. Where we come in is uh, as Bark is we're we're a tool, we're a tech. A tool that helps you have insights into your children's world because that is your job. Your job as a parent, no matter how you feel, no matter your your faith or your values, um, you need to be able to know what's happening in your child's world uh, so that you can protect them. You have adult knowledge that is 
uh, more tenured and more wise than their child knowledge. And so you've got to use that, use that wisely, but um, it's hard. Seems to be the moral of the story about this parenting thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not for the not for the week. <laughs> no, not at all. So, two things on that. Um, this is a this is a twofold. First, you said that Bart gives recommendations on what to do next when there is behavior. Now, can you explain the difference between what to do next and y'all instructing them uh, from? a moral standpoint or an ethical standpoint, what is right and what is wrong? Yes, 100%. Um, let's take bullying for first off. Mm-hmm. Um, if your child is experiencing cyberbullying, or if they are the bully, or if they are just a witness or bystander, um, there are some things you should do. You should, you should talk about it. So we have, um, you know talking points to help start the conversation with your child because it's not always easy they don't always want to talk about it you know um so tips for starting conversations with your child um we also help you understand like what are your uh what are your legal options if somebody is cyberbullying your child um in certain states there are laws that can help help you um and so know the cyberbullying laws in your state um there are certain hotlines that you can call to get help. Um, uh, stopbullying.gov. You know, there, there's just it's 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 tips and resources. It's education. It's not you shouldn't do this or you should do this or you should be okay with this. It's you need to know what to do. You need to know how to document it. Um, if your child is being bullied on a platform and the messages disappear, and here's how you take a screenshot. Uh, here's the the URL to click on to report it to this platform. Um, it's, it's education and it's empowerment. Um, and that's just cyberbullying. when it comes to, let's say a heavier, heavier topic, like online predation. A lot of parents don't know what to do. What do I do? Uh, somebody, you know, threatened my child and said, if she didn't send nudes, they were going to come kill her. So she did. What do we do? That was a phone call that I received a few weeks ago from a, from a parent friend. I was like, Okay. All right. Uh, you know, well, you need to you need to contact your local law enforcement. You need to file a police report. They're going to escalate it to a uh, special victims unit and child crimes unit. You need to report it to NICMIC. That's the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, your child probably needs some therapy. Reach out to their pediatrician. Uh, they'll be able to help you with best next, best next steps on how to help your child uh, navigate this and how to help you navigate this. Um, so they're all they're all very tangible steps we're giving. It's not a your child shouldn't have sent a nude photo that that makes them a bad kid. No, good kids make bad choices and they're going to make mistakes. They're kids. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's much more empowerment focused, which I think is uh, important on on kind of any journey. Uh, you know, you can acknowledge that there's a problem or acknowledge something's gone on, but. Where do you go from there? And the second part to this is for a, uh, a potential new parent coming on the scene, uh, what is your number one piece of advice as they navigate a new relationship with technology, with kids growing up from literally coming out of the womb in this age where we are consumed by tech? I mean, we are on tech right now. We have mm-hmm. tech on our, our wrists. We have tech recording this. We have like, there's tech everywhere. Yeah. What do you do for a brand new parent? Brand new parent, 
Oh man. Not from Bart's perspective, but just, just yeah. what, do you, what do you do? Uh, modeling. It, it all comes down to modeling. Um, if your baby before they can even form words is seeing more of you from behind this thing, than the eye contact, that's a problem. And, you know, you might be like, well, I want to record everything. And maybe you're just videotaping them and taking pictures of them. Um, But you have to think about it from their perspective. Just you having this in your hand serves as a distraction factor. They see the eye contact move away from them to this. And then they register what is the rank of importance. Um, Basically, you have to get outside of your own self and look, look at it. Look at yourself from a bird's eye view. Um, when they come talk to you, when they can finally walk and talk again, is this thing in front of you? Are you paying attention? To them? Put the freaking phone down, put it on silent, turn off notifications, let them know that this might be how you communicate with your friends, but your family comes first, or this might be how you're able to pay for your house and groceries and car and go on vacations, etc. This might be your livelihood and your work. But it's work and it does not control you. You know, no phones at the dinner table, no phones when you're putting your child down for bed or saying prayers or reading bedtime stories. Like it's all about, it's really all about a very healthy dose of perspective. Um, You've got to balance living in the moment with capturing the moment. Um, You've also got to balance the, the filtered life versus the curated life. You know, if you're about to take your picture and you're like, oh, oh you got to move that. And Oh, that like, you know, just think about what you're subliminally communicating to them about what's important in life. Um, and if this has too much of a presence or the watch or whatever, that's a problem. Also from like a vegging out and, and, you know, consumption standpoint. I mean, if you're a parent and you're gaming, upwards of seven or eight hours a day, like that's probably not really healthy. Uh, you know, if you're just vegging out on social media or Netflix for multiple hours a day, um, you know, your children are watching you like do something that has meaning. Like it's okay to game. It's okay to binge out on Netflix, but like, you know, also do other things that get you physically active in the real world. Please. Tips. James? What would you... What would you say to those? Uh, I feel as though... Actually, I know for certain. Uh, <laughs> Savon and I sit in a, uh, in a spot where we are extremely anti-predator, anti-grooming uh, kids. And... and yeah. And I say that and it's, I know everyone's kind of smiling here and it's honestly messed up that we even have the, the initial reaction to smile because so many people are not like that. So many people play in the gray area and play in the illegal area with children. And I think that's disgusting, but I'm curious to where, where you think that we as men, as adults, as parents, you being a, a parent of a, of a boy, um, I don't have any kids. Savon doesn't have any kids. But how can we as adults be part of the solution, not the problem, even if we don't have kids? 
And, and how do we identify those around us that maybe we need to play bark for them and maybe notify someone that they're doing some things that they shouldn't be doing? Because I feel as though, you know, it's kind of the whole the bystander thing, right? If we just sit around and you know certain individuals are doing certain things that are borderline or they're over the line and there's innocent people being hurt, what's our responsibility? I'm so glad you asked that. Um, to simplify a very complicated and nuanced problem, I would say it all goes back to that if you see something, say something. If you have a, a friend that's posting pictures of their kids, you know, in the bathtub at bath time on social, um, and their private areas are not obscured by, you know, bubbles, uh, a DM to them might be warranted. Like, hey. I know that you meant this an innocent sharing of a beautiful childhood moment, but unfortunately there are some really, really sick people online. Um, and even though your uh, settings are to share only with friends, you just never know. You just never know. Um, and so if you see something, say something. If, if, if people are posting their kids online uh, too much um, in ways that, you know, predators, like uh educating them that that it's out there uh it's it's not easy but it's a it's a warranted conversation if they're uh posting pictures of their children in front of their kids school if they're taking their family photos in front of their house and you can see what the front of their house looks like and like their street address you know just little things little things uh let's, let's be safer people let's be safer um if you're on Instagram and you see an account that is clearly underage girls, uh, they don't even have to be nude in, in provocative poses or clothing, you know, report it. Instagram, thankfully, they finally took it down, but they had this account up uh, called Have Bikini, stupid name. Um, and the description was, um, you know, teens in bikinis like we want to showcase how beautiful teens are and it's like okay well you're not american eagle like you're not trying to sell bathing suits you know and it had over sixty thousand followers and it was reported so many times and they still didn't take it down it took them like six months to take the damn account down and just really irritating but we have to do the work we have to we have to call it when we see it um uh and even little things like uh, people will still say the term child pornography. No, it is not child pornography. It is child sexual abuse material. Um, you know, it's it's just very, very small tweaks in our language and our behaviors. And um, I'm not encouraging everybody to be Debbie Downer, but, you know, if you see something, say something. We've got to change the way that we portray our children and, and do better to protect our children. Well said. I think that sometimes people feel like they're being a Debbie Downer or they are afraid of the judgment that may come from their their friends if they know that they because even to your point, uh, somebody I was good friends with in high school, I saw a picture of her, um, her kid, you know, on Instagram. And sometimes it's like it's just like a, a tick almost where I see something like, ah, shit, they shouldn't have done that, yeah. you know, and yeah. And it's like you said, you don't necessarily want to see the world from that angle, but it's almost like if you if you have the vision to see, 
something that can can be rectified before it could become a problem and others don't, then it's like, how do we catch each other up to speed so that there's not even the, you know, flood of naked kids on Instagram? And it's just like, why are all these reels naked children? You know, like there's not, we can't put one to one together now. Like, come on now. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. People, people don't realize um, that was one thing that we were pretty rocked by um, in our undercover project was that the younger, the profile that we made, the more requests we got from predators. We thought the more mature a, a, a minor might be, might be more appealing because they had, you know, more, more development, but in fact, it was the opposite. And that was really just sick, just sick. People don't know that people don't talk about it. It's not what you see on the news. They don't Mm -hmm. want to cover that. It's too hard. It's too hard to process. I don't even know that it's too hard to process so much as there's so many people watching the news that partake in that kind of behavior that they would be like, goodbye rating. Yeah. Let me turn this off because that's me and I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, realizing that it's not, it's not just some creepy dude, you know, living in his mother's basement. It's, it's people you trust, it's people, you know, it's doctors, it's lawyers, it's teachers, it's dentists, it's pastors, it's, um, politicians, the people in law enforcement, even unfortunately that are meant to protect you are, um, sometimes the perpetrators. So it's, it's, it's not, it's a very unsettling fact. So that's a, a great segue because a question I had was how often or if there have been instances, and I don't know if you disclose this or not, where you try to escalate these situations and then maybe it's, it's locally in that jurisdiction, in that precinct, but for some reason, they don't seem to really take action. They don't really seem to move on certain. It doesn't just have to be the, the child abuse material. But do y'all have the, are y'all able to track that and kind of get a gauge of our in this precinct? They don't tend to respond well when we send in these escalations versus this escalation because it's a thing. And you don't have to give us the department or anything like that. We're just curious. (laughs) (laughs) Don't put a target on your back. Don't do that. (laughs) But just as a trend so that people can understand that it's not just a plot to a movie. It's just not uh, not just postulation, but that very genuinely people who are supposed to protect and serve often protect each other and serve their own needs. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Soundbite. Yes. Um, Wow. So one thing that was really hard to process during the pandemic was the increase in alert we were sending around child abuse, knowing that children were no longer at school. They were at home. And so that meant that their abuser was in the home and we couldn't send the alert to the abuser in the home. So we had to send it somewhere else. So um, that's just a small snapshot into the dynamics we have to navigate. Um, Less so with regards to precinct and law enforcement. I can't really speak to that, but just, just knowing how much abuse happens within the home. And when children are not at school, in physical school, where a teacher or a counselor can spot some warning signs and get them help. Um, 
it's really, really sad. Are y'all at a point where you feel comfortable with the the process, the system y'all have in place when it is that scenario? Where because oh, it yeah. seems okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely that's what we. Um, it's our mission. It's our mission is to keep kids safer online and in real life. And um, when you realize what's happening, you know you got to do something about it. And we're so thankful to uh, our our law enforcement partners and our child health and wellness partners that that help us navigate that uh, that nuance. Because mm. it seems too that whoever those parents might be that that would be very unwise to use something like Bark but be an abuser. Maybe they think they can outsmart however your, your tech works, but that just seems like a really odd decision to make. Uphill battle there. Doesn't seem like maybe the, the smartest thing. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I don't want to speak on the record about that just because I don't want to tip them off. to. Oh, I thought I, I dig it. I dig it. Hey, yeah, you don't have to say I anything. I did it. Yeah. No, yep. It's all good. Yep. Every, everybody use Mark. <laughs> <laughs> everybody use Mark. <laughs> uh, to, uh, for sure. To Tanya, if you... So there's awareness that needs to be brought to a, a lot of things to do with uh, child protection and, and kids and parenting and what have you. Uh, what do you think the highest priority is in all these buckets? What is awareness that need to be brought to first? the prevalence, just how common these issues are. So you need to realize just how common all of these issues are in children. And yes, your kid and yes, that age. Um, and that's a segue to the, the, not my kid. Like everybody thinks at some point, like, Oh, that'll never happen to my kid or if something's happening to my kid. I'll know. Cause it's my kid. Like I'll know you might not know the very good chance. You won't know. Um, so address the data, learn the data, uh, own the fact that good kids make bad choices and it absolutely could be your kid. Um, so it's really just a dose of reality. Is that not the same line of logic? Uh, people saying not my kid as uh, they're saying not my friend. No, no man in my circle could be an aggressor of sexual assault. No, yeah. no. Like, isn't that just the same thing? Yeah, totally. You basically just have to realize that I don't even know. Nobody's perfect. We're all human. Um, If I could, uh, a phrase I've heard before is anybody is capable of anything given the right circumstances. Exactly. Exactly. Trust no one. Verify everything. Trust but verify. (laughs) <laughs> always always what role do you think and i know we're uh, we're coming up on time and we want to be respectful of it but what what role do you think that are the disney the netflix that hulu that these streaming platforms um what what role do you think that they play in this what role do you think that they play in in the show's cuties and in, in eyes wide shut with a child trafficking ring almost satanic in rituals what what do you think that these, these movies are doing 
to kids, to parents, to adults that didn't think that they may ever be an aggressor, find themselves in a situation where they've just let a little bit too much evil in? That's a doozy of a question. Um, I think the media in general, culture in general, has hypersexualized girls uh, at a younger and younger age. You know, if you just take uh, a comparison of a group of girls, let's say, at age 12 from like 1980 and a group of girls at age 12 today, big difference. Um, Yes, our culture uh, has hypersexualized young women in particular. Um, that's a problem. I also think that the media culture in America specifically needs to get back to a place of defaulting to clean and opting in to more versus the opposite. Now, you know when you get cable in your home or you sign up for Netflix or whatever, or you get an iPhone, um, the ratings and the filters aren't, aren't set to safe and G rated. Like it's just a free for all. You have to do the work to actively implement filters and set those parameters for like, Hey, we've got kids in the house or I've got an issue that I would like to avoid encountering this type of content. Like go ahead and just set me up for success. For like the the safest cleanest uh, exposure, and if I want to opt in because it is a free country and I'm an adult and I want to watch what I want to watch, I can do that. Um, it's backwards. It's completely backwards. Uh, we need to move to a place where it's just generally safe, and if you are wise enough to um, be able to manage mature content. Uh, you can do that in ways that are age gated and appropriate versus just free for all everything. Um, you know, we're all pushing the envelope. It, it takes more and more to shock. Uh, movies are more gruesome and more violent um, from both just a violent standpoint and a sexual violence standpoint. Like it's all just, there's a bunch of desensitization and it's alarming. Couldn't agree more. Hmm. Well, as we're wrapping this up, <laughs> uh, first off, honestly, we both want to thank you for your time and for being here today and for being so honest. Because uh, goodness gracious, Lord, man, it's like the flip of what you just said. It's either things are free for all or everybody's trying to be so cookie cutter and stay in the box. They're like, nope, I don't talk about that. I don't talk about this. This, it, These are the talking points. You know, so that we can't actually have a more substantive conversation. So thank you so much for that. Anything, calls to actions, uh, things you want to make people aware of. I know there's a few things you mentioned, like the study y'all recently did with the CDC. Everybody should go check that out. But if you can just let the audience know where they should go, how they can learn more about Bark, uh, anything else you want to leave the people with. For sure. Um, thank you all again for having me. Uh, to anybody who is who is listening to this, thank you for spending this time with us. You could be doing all kinds of things with your life and you've chosen to spend your time with us. So we appreciate that. And thank you for that. Um, if you're struggling with parenting in a tech world, whether or not you use Bark, there's a free resource uh, called Parenting in a Tech World. It's a Facebook group. 
Um, ironically, it is a group on Facebook, but you can go there. There's over 150,000 parents there. Um, request to join the group and get some really quality help in real time from other parents that are dealing with it like you are. If you're interested in getting Bark for your family, uh, really easy. Just go to bark.us. That's the website. You can sign up for a free trial and, and protect your family online. Um, if you want to connect with me, I am such a social media nerd, like in a good way, I think, I hope. Um, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Pinterest. If it's new and coming out, I'll be there. Um, just find me by my name, Titania Jordan. That's where I am in all the places. And I love to, to connect with you, support you, engage with you. Perfect. James? <clears throat> we got to do better. Uh, <laughs> I believe that um, we have, a, we have a, a responsibility, all of us. If you're listening to this, if you're, if you're existing in this world, and to be part of the solution, not the problem. Uh, some of that comes in, in changing where your head is at. Um, and I want to thank you again for coming on, Tanya. It has been a pleasure. Um, and I, I appreciate you being well, willing to deviate from, from talking points, as Savon stated. I think it's, it's wonderful. Oftentimes, someone that's very, very forefront in the media, um, you, have, you know the questions that are basically going to be asked, and you, you respond kind of and slip, slip the punches that you don't want to hit you. And you know, I very much appreciate you being willing to just have an open conversation, give space to, to your thoughts as they, as they come and not just hit us back with response A, B, C, D, E. Yeah, that's boring. Nobody needs that. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> is. Well, cool. Well, uh, that's all for me. Sabon, you got anything you want to leave us with? No, no, no. Just this is, uh, this is one of the most important episodes I think we've ever done. Uh, so thank you, um, for just your perspective on it, giving us truly that insight. Cause you are day in, day out focusing to not, not be a bystander, but to be an active participant in the solution of these uh, problems in this situation. So please keep doing the work that y'all are doing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feel better having had this conversation with you and knowing that you're on the inside helping guide how this goes. Uh, so, so that gives me, that gives me great confidence in what y'all are doing. Uh, and it's cool that you're, that you're from the city, that you're from Atlanta. So, you know, we, we, we can do more than just make trap music. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thanks y'all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's going to be it. Thank you all for listening. You can catch us anywhere on uh, any streaming platform or on YouTube. Uh, we have all these chopped into uh, small snippets on YouTube as well. If you want to see uh, Titania's face and not just hear her voice and see those facial expressions, we, you can catch us uh, really anywhere on YouTube. We've got tons and tons of uh, content there. But thank you all again for listening. And thank you, Titania, for coming out. We're going to sign off and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.